What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Deborah's home was stolen. Now, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The Reagan Revolution rolls along. I mean, this is astonishing what's going on with Donald Trump's new budget. Grover Norquist is going to drop by and explain to us why the Trump budget is such a marvelous thing. The Reagan Revolution continues. It never really stopped, right? I mean, from 1933 until 1981, we were operating under Keynesian economics, under an economic system that promotes and builds the interests of the middle class and working class people. This is what both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are calling for our country to return to. And then in 1981, Reagan said, no, we're going to discard that. We're going to go back to Warren Harding economics in 1920 that brought us the roaring 20s and the great crash of 1929. We're going to go back to that. And uh, here we are. The social contract, Trump's $4.8 trillion budget, cuts Medicare by $850 billion, cuts Medicaid by $920 billion, cuts Social Security by $30 billion, cuts food stamps by $181 billion, cuts education, support to education by 8%. You think student debt is bad now? You think our schools are falling apart now? Cuts health and human services by 9%, just as, you know, the world is facing an epidemic, really. It cuts the Environmental Protection Agency by 26%. That nasty agency that, you know, the Cokes and all the oil barons hate. Cuts our national parks, the Interior Department, by 13%. Cuts housing in the United States by 15%. And this is when the economy is on a roll. I mean, this is over a trillion dollars in cuts for health care. And all these other massive cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, cuts for funding for the Centers for Disease Control and research into diseases like the coronavirus. It kneecaps the Environmental Protection Agency. You know, Paul Ryan may no longer be in politics and Ronald Reagan may be dead But the politics of greed and the top 1% continue to totally rule the Republican Party and have, frankly, an outsized influence in the Democratic Party. Until, in my humble opinion, the Democratic Party returns to the New Deal and Great Society, to its own roots in the New Deal and the Great Society, in Keynesian economics, 
until the Democratic Party, as uh, at least a solid majority of the Democratic Party, repudiates Reaganomics and says, you know, this experiment we've been doing since 1981, it ain't working out. Until the majority of the Democratic Party does that, you know, it's going to continue like this. The Financial Times just reported that new research from Goldman Sachs shows that, quote, the richest 1% of Americans now account for more than half the value of all stocks owned by U.S. households. The bottom 90% of America holds 12% of stocks. People go, oh, the economy's going great. Have you looked at the Dow? Who's in the Dow? Oh, the top 1%. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They own over half of it. Top 10% own, what, over 90% of it. And we think the economy is doing well? I mean, this, this is Reaganism continued. The Financial Times adds, the widening wealth disparity has been driven by stagnant wages for many Americans. I would add, by the way, since 1981, which held them back from, from partaking in the stock market's gains in the past decade. Despite the dot-com collapse and the global financial crisis, the broad U.S. stock market has climbed more than tenfold since 1990. In other words, if you put $1,000 into the stock market in 1990, you'd have $10,000 right now doing nothing. And that $9,000 increase in value, or if you'd put $100,000 into the stock market in 1990, you'd have a million dollars right now. And that $900,000 in, in uh, profit that you show, you'd pay a maximum 15% tax on it because it's a capital gain. People, people like Paris Hilton who make their living sitting on their butt around the pool waiting for the dividend checks to arrive, pay a lower tax rate than you do. And do nothing. Back to the Financial Times, despite the dot-com collapse and the global financial crisis, the broad U.S. stock market has climbed more than tenfold since 1990, gains that have mostly accrued to the richest part of the population. And people say, well, you know, you're talking about uh, economic warfare here. You're talking about uh, politics of envy. You're talking about, you know, criticize the rich. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Warren Buffett laid it out 10, 15 years ago. You know, he said, yes, there is an economic war going on in this country, and my and a class war was the word he used, and my class is winning, he said. Pointing out that he pays a lower tax rate as a billionaire, as one of the 10 richest men in America, he pays a lower ta income tax rate as a billionaire than his secretary does. Meanwhile, the scam, I mean, you know, there's so many dimensions to the Reaganomics scam, to the neoliberal economic scam. There's the so-called we need free trade scam part of it. I think, you know, most of us are familiar with that, particularly if you're old enough to remember Ross Perot in 92. He was right. And now we're seeing, you know, some of the problems. I mean, you're, you're going to start seeing as China shuts down, and they're having a real hard time. You know, they just ended the, the lunar holiday, the, the New Year, the Chinese New Year. Said to everybody, get back to work. And at Foxconn plans, according to the Financial Times this morning, you got 10% of workers showing up. People are scared. Now, what does that mean? It means that Hyundai, the South Korean car manufacturer that buys their parts from China, has had to stop production of cars. It means that Apple iPhones aren't being made. Now, what happens when that stock shock starts hitting the United States? General Motors makes engine blocks in China. A lot of the electronics in our cars are made in China. This is the point that many of us who are opposed to so-called free trade uh, were making for a long, long time. This is something that we all saw coming. 50,000 factories were lost in the first decade and a half after, here in the United States, after NAFTA was signed. And then we got the Korean free trade deal and the Panama free trade deal and the, you know, the most na favored nation status and permanent normal trade relations with China and all this other stuff. 
So you've got that offshoring scam, the manufacturing scam. And manufacturing, by the way, Trump says, oh, manufacturing is wonderful. Manufacturing is actually in a recession here in the United States. And then you got the big pharma scam, right? The big pharmaceutical companies ripping us off. This from, from uh, Utah, the state of Utah, a Republican-controlled state. A Republican state representative by the name of Norm Thurston authored a piece of legislation in Utah called the Right to Shop Bill, which essentially says that the state and the, and the state's going to ignore the federal government's efforts to prevent people from shopping outside the state of Utah for medication. The result of this is that the state itself is now paying their employees up to $500 for a round-trip airplane ride to Mexico to buy a year's worth of their prescription medications. Honest to God. This is, you know, one participant, this is from The Guardian, a piece by Edward Helmore. The headline, Utah cuts health care costs by flying employees to Mexico for their prescriptions. This is the state. One participant, 62-year-old teacher Ann Lovell, said she saved as much as $2,400 by traveling from Salt Lake City to San Diego and then crossing the border in order to refill a prescription for her arthritis medication. Utah estimates that... It is saving $225,000 a year. And so far, they've only signed up 400 of the state's 160,000 public employees. When they expand this to all 160,000 public employees, the state of Utah is going to save millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. Because the scam continues. What's it going to take to blow up this scam? My personal opinion, I've said this many times in this program, I wrote a book about it, The Crash of 2016, is that it's going to take an economic disaster. I hope I'm wrong. I hope just a simple election can do it. And that that election happens this year. I, I suppose you could say that the disaster was Donald Trump. And maybe that was enough of a disaster to cause people to go, what the hell is going on here? And start reconsidering how they're voting. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us from Washington, D.C., Congressman Connor, welcome. Great to be back on, Tom. First, I just wanted to get your take on everything. I was out of town all last week. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked. You know, the state of the Democratic primary race, the state of our country. I'm assuming you were at the State of the Union address. Whatever you'd like to just offer your thoughts on. Congressman Ro Khanna represents the 17th District of California, Silicon Valley. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. Repro Khanna are his website and Twitter handle. So, Congressman. You know, the State of the Union was the worst of the three I've seen, and that's saying something. But you had an utterly manipulative speech where the president would basically try to recognize someone who was a genuine American hero. Usually everyone stands up and applauds. You have a war hero or someone who has overcome medical hardship. And then the next line would be a cynical manipulation saying, well, that's why we need to cut welfare, or that's why we need to cut school funding. And I've never seen anything like that. I mean, usually you don't politicize American heroes in the way he did. But he has absolutely no standards. And then to give Rush Limbaugh the Presidential Medal of Freedom, unbelievable, especially in light of the fact that many real veterans, many civil rights icons were in the audience. And for them to see Rush Limbaugh being honored in that way was just deeply disappointing. Today, the president sends his budget to Congress, slashing Medicare, slashing Social Security, slashing food stamps. You know, this is a challenge. I mean, the president's rhetoric is one thing. He lies, basically tells the American people he's not going to cut these programs. But then he submits budgets which cut exactly these programs. What's the old saying, Nancy Pelosi's old saying, actually, show me your budget, I'll show you your values. I think we're seeing Trump's values. And the Republican Party, they've been consistent on this. They fought Social Security in the 1930s and called it socialism. They fought Medicare in the 1960s, called it socialism. They fought long-term unemployment insurance in the 1930s, called it socialism. Name your program that Americans love. Republicans have fought it. Yeah, the only thing Trump does is he has just the same intentions, if not more, cutting these programs. But he is politically shrewd enough to realize that that's a non-starter. You can't win an election. So his solution is, let's just lie. Let's just tell people we're not cutting it. 
and cut it at the same time. And, you know, he's more shameless in a way than Paul Ryan or Mitt Romney was. And harder, therefore, to take one because he is willing to just stand up and blatantly lie to people. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Michael in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? They're on the air with Congressman Connor. I was curious how you think the DNC is going to be able to defeat Trump if they can't even count. And then once they do count and they inaccurately add up the totals in the first caucus, and then the attorney says that they can't change the math and show what is accurate because it would falsify the documents. How is it that they're not giving a reason for independent voters to not vote for the uh, fixed DNC candidate if we can't have a valid primary? How do you see us defeating Trump with the DNC pulling tricks such as that? Look, what happened in Iowa was unacceptable, but let's just put this in context. I mean, Bernie Sanders won the popular vote in terms of delegates. There were tied. Now Buttigieg is up one or two delegates, 14 to 12, in the context of 1,990 delegates that you need. Expect Senator Sanders will win in New Hampshire. I think he's going to do very well on Super Tuesday. What we really need is to reform the process so you have better technology. And I don't understand this whole realignment and why you can't just have a person who won the popular vote get the most delegates. But I don't think it's uh, just the Democrats. I mean, the Republicans had this huge problem in 2012 where they had Romney winning and Centurum winning. So while I was disappointed with what happened, I think we have to move forward. And I'm confident it's not going to hinder Bernie Sanders' momentum. David in Columbus, Ohio, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I'm particularly interested in the uh, Green New Deal. I would like to know if there is a Green New Deal. Ohio suffers a lot from bad air quality and water quality. Would the federal Green New Deal influence the states to do the right thing as far as clean energy? David, it would. In terms of clean water, the Green New Deal has $35 billion for our water infrastructure to be updated and upgraded. I mean, 16 million Americans don't have access to clean water without certain particles or contaminants. And it would fundamentally upgrade the infrastructure. It also would make massive investments in solar and wind and have those jobs be located in places like Ohio and across the country. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thankful Thursday came up and I thought of Roe. I'm thankful for Roe and I got a chance to vote for him yesterday. And I just wanted to say that I don't know how we can get Trump off the hook with the emoluments clause. We haven't seen his taxes. And you sit on oversight and he's been able to say that he's been absolved. But yet the request was put in some time ago and yet we have not been able to see his taxes. I, I just I'm I'm hopeful that the election will clarify this, but I'd like to see a careful accounting and some reconciliation on the part of oversight so that we make sure when and if he is out of office, we're able to go back and find out where the money is. Joe, I agree with you that Congress has to continue our oversight function. We need to first have John Bolton testify and get the testimony that has unanswered questions of what the president did on Ukraine. And I agree with you on the emoluments clause. I mean, it's not just the president staying at his own hotels. It's not just the president privileging his own friends. There's ranked corruption in many parts of this administration of self-dealing, of enriching their friends and donors. And we need to have documentation of all of that so that a new president can have systemic reform by having an anti-corruption agency and so that people can be held accountable after they leave their offices. John in Carbondale, Illinois. John, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. I thought I saw a couple months ago, I've been meaning to call in, you talked about the BDS and you couldn't support it all the way because parts of it led to not recognizing the state of Israel. And I would agree with you if that was the case. But I'm wondering, too, if that is the case, how is it we can kind of deal with the dichotomy that, what is it, in a third or a half of the states in our own country that the state governments won't do business with people if they do support BDS. So I'm just wondering, how can we kind of approach and criticize Israel's treatment and the right-wing government over there? And yet at the same time, if that's true about BDS, parts of it not supporting the statehood of Israel. My view is that we have to be for a two-state solution. We have to understand Palestinian rights to statehood. We shouldn't be for annexation. And we shouldn't do anything to suppress people's speech here or not penalize individuals or companies that make a choice of what they want to do with the Middle East. I just don't think our government should be making a policy 
of saying that we support sanctions and massive divestment from Israel. I don't think that that's going to help peace. And I, in general, I'm skeptical of sanctions as too broad an instrument and too blunt an instrument that should be only used as a last resort. Nell in Sterling, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, I just wanted to ask the congressman, who's following up on the statistics from Trump about the jobs and the unemployment and everything? He has showed us that he can do anything he wants. Is Trump rigging the economic data, Congressman? No, he's certainly misleading people about the data. I mean, for example, he made this big statement in the State of the Union that there's been a 50 percent increase in the bottom 50 percent wealth since he's been president. Well, the increase has been from 1.1 percent to 1.6 percent. So now the bottom 50 percent have 1.6 percent of the wealth as opposed to 1.1 percent. But it's not significant. In the same way, he's cherry picking how he talks about the data. The bottom line is good paying union jobs, good paying manufacturing jobs are down and they haven't been created in the battleground states or in the Midwest. Yeah, and they're all under assault. Our free Hartman Report podcast recaps the show every day. It's available wherever you find great podcasts. Congressman Ro Khanna, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the 17th District of California. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. And you can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna is on the line taking your calls. Max watching us on YouTube in Germany. Hey, Max, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I've been listening and reading Greg Faust's book since 2001. And he's been screaming about voter suppression in the southern states mostly. And I'm wondering why the Democrats haven't gone after that more aggressively in the past 20 years. And then just as a last note, over here in Germany, they're having the elections in March. And my friend got called for election duty. How's that for an idea? He has to go and count the votes. Because they do it all on paper ballots and you get called up for election duty like it's jury duty, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have a choice. You have to go. There you go, Congressman. Well, Max, I appreciate the call. In fact, I'm headed to Munich with the speaker later this week for the Munich Security Conference, and maybe we can look up and understand what Germany does. But I think you're uh, absolutely right that there should be some civic participation requirement, maybe like jury duty for election duty, especially given the need to protect our elections. And the scandal, which is what it was, of people being purged from the rolls, of voting places closing down in minority communities, people being given misinformation of where they were going to vote, of hours being curtailed. That is, uh, I agree with you, the biggest disenfranchisement, more than even the Russian interference in 2016. I mean, there was systematic efforts to get black people not to vote in this country. And had that not happened, Hillary Clinton would easily have won, in my view, both the popular and the Electoral College. John Lewis talks about this almost every day on the House floor. House Democrats passed reinstatement for strengthening of the Voting Rights Act because it was struck down in H.R. 1. But it's tough to get the media attention for it, and I appreciate your raising it. Pat in LaPorte, Indiana. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. I am concerned about President Trump's active retribution against witnesses like Colonel Vindman. And I just want to know, is it illegal what he's doing? And if so, why isn't he being stopped? Why isn't something being done to stop this? Pat, it is illegal. Uh, The challenge is when you are impeached and your own party says we're not going to hold you accountable, there's very little motive or incentive for him to follow the rules. But, of course, retaliation for whistleblowing or telling the truth is blatantly illegal. And this is the consequence of the Republicans' failure to hold this president accountable. All of those senators who said, well, we hope he has learned his lesson, we hope he's remorseful, we hope he won't do this again, they should know that one day after the acquittal, he's doubling down. And that's what I fear in 2020. If by some chance he wins re-election, he's going to have almost no constraints on him. So it's a, a very difficult situation, and it's the consequence of one party totally abdicating their constitutional responsibility. Kathy in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. I've been looking at laws violated with everything that Trump did that brought him to the impeachment trial. And the thing that stands out to me is that these guys were running around on taxpayers' dime. Well, Fiona Hill called a political agenda. I was wondering if anybody could officially, any people in Congress could write the GAO to get them to look at that and find out 
if uh, his campaign should be billed for the money that was involved in all those guys running around trying to get Zelensky to do the deed and all that kind of stuff. That is a great point. There has been so much abuse of taxpayer money by this administration using these trips for political purposes. And certainly in the case of Zelensky, the purpose was completely political and we should try to get reimbursed. I am dubious, though, that it's going to be effective. I mean, the president is going to blatantly misrepresent again that he was doing this for corruption and he knows he's got the Republican Party willing to back him up in whatever he says. But I I think having the oversight hearing call in GAO and try to get them to make an administrative determination of reimbursement is certainly worth exploring. Yeah, this even goes beyond the $650 a night he's charging the Secret Service to stay in his hotels. It's absurd. And I mean, he's basically using the apparatus of the American government for his own political advantage. And you have a Republican Party basically turning a blind eye to all of that. Yeah. What a tragedy. Mark in San Francisco, listening on 9, 10 a.m., where I will be doing this show on Monday and Tuesday, I think, of next week from. Mark, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Looks like Trump's going to run on the economy but how can we have a great economy when you got to cut Social Security and Medicare for seniors? And what kind of economy is that going to have for them? Mark, it's a great point. I mean, the economy that Trump is running on is one that is tax cuts for the wealthy and has no understanding for uh, how difficult it is for seniors or working class Americans to pay the bills. I mean, if you cut Social Security, how are they going to have retirement? How are they going to afford housing? How are parents going to be afford to send their kids to college or get prescription medicine? That is the democratic vision on the economy, that every person should be able to afford the basics of what it takes to be in the middle class. And that's the contrast we will draw. Reginald in Houston, Texas, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hey, yes, hey, thank you, Congressman Khanna, for being one of eight uh, representatives to go against the $737 billion wall spending budget, and we're talking about, we're looking at Black History Month, and Dr. King said we need to put stuff on, put this money instead of wall on a poor people's campaign. Now, if we are talking about we need Social Security, we need housing, we need the food stamp voucher, we need all these programs, and if you and what Barney Sanders said were true, and I could not support you for that, why did all of the Democrats uh, go and vote for this, and we didn't do what you guys suggested. We could have negotiated because that opened up war for Iran and then cut social services and programs for $737 billion that has been triple and duplicated since 2002. Where can we hold our Democrats accountable for that the same way that they got up and bipartisan with Venezuela? I'm trying to get behind us. I'm supportive of Bernie. But when we get you guys in office, then you vote against the will of the people for whatever reason or motive you had. That is not humanitarian and war against poverty and on the poor people's campaign and, and trying to keep peace in the world. Reginald, I appreciate the very eloquent uh, question. I mean, you're absolutely right that we have voted, many Democrats including, uh, have voted for a defense budget that increased the expenditure $120 billion from where Obama left it. Uh, Bernie Sanders and I uh, opposed it. There were about 48 Democrats who opposed it. Uh, but that $120 billion could pay for every American to get free public college, to get free trade school. It could pay for school lunch for every American. And it's really a question of our priorities. The defense authorization also had my amendment, which would have prohibited the Soleimani strikes. We had zeroed out funding for any offensive action against Iran. My amendment passed the House. It had majority support in the Senate, but it was stripped in the negotiation, and I think our side acquiesced too easily to giving the Pentagon a blank check and all of the money they wanted. We need to be much stronger in standing up against endless war and investing in our priorities. Julie in Somerset, Kentucky, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Is there any, any movement in the Democratic Party behind getting rid of the Electoral College? Julie, I think there is a movement called the 270-vote uh, compact where states voluntarily 
are passing legislation saying they will allocate their electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote. And, of course, once you get states that total 270, uh, that will become the process. So my sense is that's the most effective way to do it. In the meantime, we need to campaign in these states and realize that we did have a president very recently, Barack Obama, who overwhelmingly won the Electoral College twice. So it's not impossible. I think I'm biased, of course, because I'm Bernie Sanders' co-chair, but I believe he will win the Electoral College if he's the nominee. Suzanne in Rosheron, Texas. Am I saying that right, Suzanne? Mr. O'Connor, I like you as a senator. But I'm so concerned about us moving into a proto-dictatorship, and I'm too old to be put through this strain. Can y'all please get rid of Trump? Please. Well, Suzanne, thank you for your call, and I hear this concern all the time. I mean, Trump is shredding many of the basic norms and institutions of our democracy. One of the things I think we've all learned is that it's not, that what keeps democracy uh, going is not just the actual separation of powers uh, and institutional laws. The president has disregarded that, but also the norms of a society that most leaders observe. And this president lies without any second thought, has coarsened the public debate, has elevated vulgarity, and has no respect for the competing branches of government. Uh, So I agree with you that it's going to take a long time for this country to recover. We are a very resilient nation, and the future is bright when you look at some of the new members of Congress who the country is electing. But every day that Trump is there does more harm to our nation. James in Spokane, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, at least we're not in jail at this point, guys. Yet. Yeah, counter blessing. Point I want to make these corporate Democrats are support. I, I can't believe this. Juan Guaido was at the State of the Union address, which is not surprising, unexpected, but not surprising. But Nancy Pelosi gets up and applauds the guy. You know, that, that's just turning my stomach. Well, the thing that may be more important is it possible that these corporates are trying to privatize the stock market, that they're buying back their stock, and that way in a crash, at least they as a group would not suffer? Is that what's going on with that stuff? I think the stock market's already privately owned. Congressman? Well, sir, I did not stand up and clap for Guaido, and I think this is a case of American military intervention or uh, foreign policy overreach that is not in our interest. I mean, the biggest thing we could do for Madero, and I don't think Madero is a good actor. I mean, he has hurt his own people. When I had met with President Carter about a year ago, Carter was concerned that the elections weren't fair and free. But what we're doing is giving Madero a huge advantage when we go and intervene. He goes and rallies his people saying, look, the Americans are intervening in our process. So it's not just that there's a a moral concern. It is uh, politically naive to have this policy. What we should be saying is let Mexico, let Uruguay, let the Pope mediate. Let have region, let's have regional mediation. Uh, America has no interest in this kind of excessive intervention. Greg, in Naples, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Cano. I just would like to know what the congressman thinks we can do to cut through the corporate media bias, especially from MSNBC and Chris Matthews, <laughs> suggesting that Bernie would be for public execution, when I think Bernie is actually against the death penalty. And I don't know how many times they're going to ask him, how are you going to pay for it, when his answer is, it costs less. We can't afford not to do it. So the DNC needs to go left or lose again. The only thing that would lose the election and give Trump another term would be the DNC trying to keep Sanders out of the race. Well, Greg, I appreciate it. One of the things we're all doing is uh, listening to Tom's show. That's uh, an alternate media. And I'll tell you something, and I'm not saying this just to flatter Tom. When I go out uh, campaigning, I get more people telling me, that they heard me on Tom Hartman's show than uh, that they heard me on MSNBC. So uh, I think there are a lot of alternative media forums that we need to take advantage of. The second thing is that Bernie Sanders' platform actually is very simple. He basically believes every American should have uh, the same opportunity that this country gave to me, a son of immigrants. I had a good public education. I grew up in a middle-class family that didn't have to worry about health care, didn't have to worry about school lunches. My parents didn't have to worry about child care. And I had a great opportunity at the American Dream. I mean, I represent 
Silicon Valley. Bernie Sanders is not talking about uh, making Apple computers a government-owned entity. He's not talking about anything uh, radical. What he's saying is, uh, let's fulfill the New Deal so every person has a chance to get uh, a future uh, in in this nation. And I believe that that's why it's resonating with so many millions of Americans. And it clearly is. Brandon in Wildwood, Missouri. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, uh, Congressman. I got two bronze stars in combat. I appreciate what you do. I'm from the South. I live here in Wildwood, Missouri. But I just want to ask you a question. Why is it that white America vote against their interests when they are the majority in everything? Social Security affects them. Medicaid affects them. Welfare affects them. What is it? that they just don't understand why they constantly vote against their own interests, sir. Reverend Barber with the Poor People's Campaign actually, I think, is trying to work towards building this coalition between black Americans and working-class white Americans. And his point is that the tools of racism and institutional racism that have divided blacks and whites and that have disenfranchised black Americans actually serve the interests of uh, a very narrow set of Americans, and that a coalition between uh, working-class whites and black Americans and uh, Asian Americans and Latino Americans actually would lead to policies that better everyone uh, and not just the top 1%. And so what you're saying is, is, is I think, that the tools of institutional racism are hurting both black and white Americans. And the hope is that someone like Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign can build a coalition to overcome that. Brian in Greenwood, South Carolina. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. My name is Brian, and I was just wondering... Do you think it's possible that we will hear more rhetoric about a balance? Because so many people think that Bernie's all about socialism and that's it. And, you know, I think Bernie's the best. And I used to vote Republican all my life, but not anymore. But so many people, all they do is badmouth socialism. And they don't realize that capitalism is part of Bernie's platform, too. So that's my question. Bernie is a FDR Democrat. He basically is looking to fulfill the ideals of the New Deal in the 21st century, which means everyone should get education, everyone should have health care, everyone should have access to an uh, opportunity to get a good-paying job. And uh, that is uh, about making uh, the free market work for everyone uh, and not just for the very few. And that's a message, frankly, that can appeal to progressive Democrats, independents, uh, moderate Democrats, and Republicans. It's a uh, message of what we need to do to truly make our economy more inclusive. Andy in Boston, Massachusetts, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, I just wanted to know if you had the same policy as Bernie Sanders on your immigration, which is uh, don't go after the weakest among us, go after the people that are employing them. And if that's your motto, too. Andy, I agree. And Tom Hartman, as you know, has been saying this for the past 20 years. I mean, uh, if you really want to go after the exploitation of immigrants, go after the companies. They're the ones that are paying below market wages. They're the ones that are benefiting. Uh, It's not the most vulnerable. By the way, very quickly, you know, when the ban happened of migrant workers in 1964 and they weren't allowed to pick tomatoes, because there was some view that that would help American workers in my state of California. Guess what happened? 98% of those jobs were automated. So it didn't actually end up helping American workers. The people who are the culprit often uh, are the big corporations. It's not the uh, marginal uh, immigrant. Allard in Anthony, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman, uh, Congressman Connor. My question is this. What about the changes or the recent proposal uh, changing the uh, Social Security disability requirements? It's going the wrong way, what the Trump administration has proposed. I mean, basically, they're making it harder for people who are uh, disabled or uh, unable to work to get 
basic uh, enough income to, to sustain themselves. And what we need to do, if anything, is expand the Social Security disability uh, insurance where uh, people can live on $14,000, $15,000 a year salary. Uh, and we need to provide more flexibility so individuals who are disabled can get benefits but also have some flexibility of working uh, and be able to save more than $2,000. So uh, we need to expand uh, that SSDI program, not uh, cut it as Trump would do. Francis in Palm Springs, California, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Thank you, um, um, Tom. Thank you um, for your um, great show. And Congressman, I would just like to know, how will Bernie um, combat the disinformation campaign that is going to take place? Because uh, he seems to be the one that will be the nominee. And also, does he have a plan to go down and to win the Senate? I'll take your uh, answer off the air. Francis, there are two very thoughtful questions. He's going to combat the disinformation campaign with an army of volunteers. We need to have millions of people in this country mobilized. They need to be the ambassadors for truth on social media, uh, knocking door-to-door with voters, uh, talking to people. I mean, we know that Trump is going to dump $100 million into Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan the day after we have a nominee. And the only way you beat big money, the only way you beat special interests, is by having a mobilized group of citizens who want change. It's the only way change has ever happened in this country. Uh, in terms of the Senate, I am uh, optimistic uh, that we can uh, take back the Senate with Bernie Sanders as the nominee. I believe anyone who votes for Bernie Sanders as the president is also likely uh, to vote for someone who is a progressive uh, for the Senate uh, because they know that the Bernie Sanders needs a progressive Senate uh, for uh, things to uh, pass. The final point I'll make is when people say, well, right now the votes aren't there. Uh, if you had taken that attitude, uh, we would never have had the Voting Rights Act. We would have never have had Medicare for All. We would never have had the Immigration uh, Rights Act of 65. We never would have had the Affordable Care Act. Votes are never there magically before leadership. It's leadership and movements that bring the politicians along, and that's what Bernie Sanders is trying to do. Yeah, I was listening to this commentary, uh, I think it was Chris Matthews last night, and, and he was talking about, you know, the votes aren't there, just give it up. And I'm thinking... What if Susan B. Anthony had said that? She died before women got the vote. You know, what, what if Harriet Tubman had said that? I mean, I, I, let me yeah, just toss I mean, that just, to you. It's, you know, it's, it's the most frustrating critique of Bernie Sanders of all of them. I mean, how much of the New Deal or FDR's program would have been there if someone looking in uh, 1931 had said, well, what, is, what are we going to have the votes for? Or how much of Lyndon Johnson's program would be there if someone in 63-64 uh, had said, uh, well, what, what, is, what are we going to have the, uh, the votes for? That's, that's, if that were the case, why do you need political leadership? Just pick anyone to be president out of a phone book. Now, that's better than Trump, probably, but you know, <laughs> there is something about having leadership. There you go. Congressman Khanna, it's so great having you on the program. Thank you so much for dropping by as frequently as you do. I really appreciate it. I really enjoy the show. Thank you. Rudy in Atlanta. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, my friend. How you do? Good. What's up? You know, everything has a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at MSNBC, and I hear this white guy. Oh, socialism is, you know, they're going to vote against socialism. But, you know, I'm thinking... Everything is cool when the uh, rich white man is getting all the all the handouts, but then once he discovers that everyone else is trying to get a piece of the pie, now he wants to call, you know, start screaming. And it's just Bernie Sanders is the only one that has enough balls to say, "Hey, you need to start cutting this pie a little bit, uh, so everybody else can eat." Or one day when your kids wake up and realize that you've been lying to them about everything, now you now you got something to deal with. You know, yeah, six hundred billion dollars a year in subsidies to the fossil fuel industry just in the United yes. States, four trillion dollars worldwide, um, hundreds of billions of dollars a year in subsidies and profits for the for the pharmaceutical industry. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, hundreds of billions, of, not, one and a half trillion dollars in tax cuts to these guys. You know, and, and that's not socialism for the rich. Come on. Give me a break. Rudy, spot on. Thank you for the call. Andy in Grand Rapids. Hey, Andy, what's up? Hey, Tom, this is Andy from uh, DeVos Land. Hey, um, I was listening to the uh, local radio station here, and they play Limbaugh and all that junk mm -hmm. on there. Anyway, they were talking about that there's a caravan 
of illegals coming up here to cross the border to <laughs> vote for the presidential elections. And I'm going, so, so is, is we've is seen this movie before, already? Eddie. <laughs> I know. And is that him really trying to say that it's, uh, you know, they're going to, um, they're going to rig the election again? Yeah. What he's saying, you know, this, one of the things that we actually know from social science is that when people are frightened, they tend to vote for authoritarian leadership. They tend to vote for the strong man. If you can scare people, they'll go for a police state. And that's what Donald Trump is doing. He's trying to say, look out, the brown people are coming and they're bringing, you know, rape and disease and drugs and all kinds. And that's what, and, and you know, there's a certain percentage of the population that's going to believe that and, and just go nuts. And then they'll show up, you know, with maggot hats on at Trump rallies. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Andy, it's terrible. David in Chicago. David, what's on your mind today? Okay, I would like to ask Mr. Norquist, you could ask him, uh, I'm assuming he's a Republican, why it would be okay, for example, for Social Security to be taken away from the disabled, blind people in wheelchairs. I'm blind, I'm 66 years old, and I've been receiving Social Security ever since I was 19. I was orphaned at 16 after losing both of my parents, and I got my dad's Social Security. Uh So... I like to know what he would, what the Republicans would expect me to do, if they uh, considered me able-bodied enough to be taken off of Social Security, because that's what I believe would would happen. The simple answer, David, is that Republicans, Libertarians, right-wingers in general believe that people like yourself, people who are blind or disabled in other ways, should be living off the generosity of of uh, people who, because of their superior intellect and competence, have very, very high incomes and lots and lots of wealth. Um, You know, it's so bizarre. I mean, even, you know, Atlas Shrugged, the the, the book that everybody points to, Ayn Rand's book, is about a sister and brother who inherited a railroad from their fathers. But somehow inherited wealth is wonderful stuff. And those terrible railroad workers, you know, they're the takers, not the makers. That's their pitch, David. What would they expect me to do? Uh, I mean, I'd like to work. They, want, oh, yeah, they right. want disabled people to beg. They want you showing up at the local church saying, please help me. I started to say they want you showing up at the, the home of the local rich people saying, please help me. But they definitely don't want that. Uh, local <laughs> rich people. Oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that we have any of those in Chicago, but, well, we might have some. Yeah, this is no way to run a country, and it's no way to take care of people. I mean, this is the real difference between the Democratic and Republican Party. The Democratic Party views everybody as part of a family. We are all members of a family, even the dysfunctional ones among us. We're all members of a family and we look out for each other. I want the maggot hat people to get social security and decent, you know, decent coverage. On the other hand, the Republican Party doesn't view us as a family. They view every single person as a standalone entity. Margaret Thatcher famously said, there is no such thing as society. There's only a collection of individuals. And as individuals, each individual will stand or fall based on their own merit. And they call that a meritocracy. And I think it's just criminally cruel. David, thank you for the call and for highlighting the reality, the bizarre reality of Republican policies. Grover Norquist is going to drop by and explain to us how wonderful Donald Trump's budget is. Stick around. By the way, Donald Trump, about three weeks ago, completed his third year in office. And according to his government, our government, but, you know, according to the official numbers, the United States economy created 6.6 million jobs during the first three years of Trump's administration. He's out there bragging about that. So over 6 million new jobs. You know how many jobs Barack Obama created or were created by the American economy in the last three years of Barack Obama's presidency? 8.1 million. Yeah. Trump is losing. He's falling behind. And he's probably whining about it. Barbara in Chicago Heights, Illinois. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great, but I'll get better, Barbara. What's up? I love that. I am so happy to finally get a chance to talk to you. Uh, I've been listening to you for years, for years, for years. You know, since about 2006, I think. Thank you. And it's the first time I've decided to call you. And you, I, I thank you for being a historian that you are because I'm in the um, the professor that you are, because I've learned so much from you, and I learn every more every day. But the reason why I call, I know you want to hear all that. <laughs> Thank um, you, Barbara. I think we should start branding the economy. 
as I was telling the young lady that answered the phone. Mm-hmm. I think you call it the 11th year of the Obama recovery. You're right. You're absolutely That's right. That's what I think we should call it. we got to take that away from Trump. Yeah. Yeah, we are. The 11th year of the, I'm going to start calling my legislators. You all need to start saying the 11th year of the Obama recall, something like that. Yeah. Because you know how they say things over and over and over again? Yep. Until it becomes a fact? Yep. Yeah. We need to get every Democrat saying that, and I'll, I'll try to say and, it more frequently, Barbara, because you, you are absolutely right. This literally is the 11th year of the Obama recovery. The and by the way, it's starting Obama. to lose steam. Because of the stuff that Donald Trump is doing. That's right. And it's starting to lose steam. Yep. Okay. Barbara, thank you so much. It's great to hear from you, and I appreciate the call. So it's Valentine's Day, and you're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes, and you look in the mirror, and uh uh-oh. Wrinkles, large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's my secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under eye bags and wrinkles disappearing right in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day you gift yourself. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com. Tom Harbin here with you on the line with us is Grover Norquist, founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform, ATR.org. You can tweet him at Grover Norquist. Grover, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. It's been a while. You've been a champion your whole life for cutting taxes on rich people and corporations and then, you know, cutting cutting health care and cutting Social Security and cutting food stamps and cutting education. You must be very happy with Trump's new budget. $850 billion in cuts to Medicare, $920 billion in cuts to Medicaid, $30 billion in cuts to Social Security. I mean, are you, are you partying tonight? Well, actually, I'm not in favor of cutting any of those programs. I do think they need to be reformed. You don't, right. uh, you don't cut a significant program because you say, okay, down 2%. Uh, well, what 2%? There's stuff that's, that's wasteful. There's stuff that needs to be done better. I'm a lot more interested in the idea of block-granting uh, means-tested programs out to the 50 states and letting, as, as uh, Bill Clinton did, with aid to families. With I was just going to say, that works so well for Bill Clinton. He basically destroyed our, our social safety net. So if people got into a protracted, re- or the country got into a protracted re- recession, as has happened several times since Clinton did that, okay. people, people on the bottom end of the economic uh, spectrum are screwed. I guess my question for you is, why yeah, are tax cuts like- for the wealthy more important than every American having health care? Why is it that in Germany or in Canada or in Spain or, you know, you pick your country, right? You know, the, uh, the 33 of the other 34 OECD nations, wealthy people like those that you represent and yourself pay more in taxes and everybody has health care without deductibles, without co-pays, without all this BS. I mean, now you've got Utah sending literally their state employees to Mexico to buy their prescriptions. Why is it more important to have tax cuts for the wealthy than for Americans to have health care? Well, I think that what you have to look at is the comparison between the United States and Sweden or Denmark or the countries you were mentioning. What's the difference between us and them? They tax rich people more? No. Twelve yes. of them had wealth taxes. Eight of them got rest, uh, got rid of them. The difference is how they tax the middle class. They have a value-added tax across Europe, 20%, 25% in Sweden. In the United States, people pay 5 maybe 8% on a sales tax. Europeans have 20 or 25% value-added tax, which is a sales tax at every level of production, and not just... Well, over the simple fact good. is, you know, I, I, get the, I get the song and dance, the but the simple fact is that wealthy people Higher in all those countries pay the middle class more in, in taxes. Wealthy people in and all those countries pay more in taxes. Yes, average people may pay more in taxes, too, but they get something not. for it. That's just not true. That is not true. 
in the United States, the top 1% or 20% or 10% or 50% pay a much higher rate amount of the total taxation than in the European countries. Of the total taxation. This, you know, I'm, I'm talking about individual tax, income tax Wealth, you know, you're, you're trying to slice, you know, what was the old uh, Will Rogersism? You know, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. We're talking about, I'm talking about absolute taxes. Why is it more important to have tax cuts for the wealthy than to have the future of our children in a country or a world that's not ravaged by climate change. Okay, your point is wrong. It's not the difference between the United States and Europe is not how we tax high income people. It's how you tax the middle class, and they tax it higher both on sales taxes. It is and it is all of children. the above. But why is it more important to you to have tax cuts right. here in the United States for rich peoples and corporations? You know, the, the folks that you represent as a lobbyist, why is it more important to you to have those people have tax cuts than for Americans to have health care, for us not to not to be ravaged by climate change, for us not to have roads that are crumbling and schools that are falling apart? Why is that so important? I don't get it. OK, what am I missing? Things. Well, I mean, I know you're trying to play games on. I'm not. Uh, I'm giving you an opportunity to explain okay. why your party ever since 1981 has had this bizarre policy of, of we've okay. got to cut taxes. And then as soon as the, the, the budget deficits explode, like Reagan tripled our national debt, then, then, you, then you come along and say, well, you know, look at that budget deficit. We've got to cut Social Security. Okay. Several why? things. One, uh, well, I'm opposed to taxes at all levels. Uh, the Democrat most likely to be the nominee is Mr. Bloomberg, who revels in taxing poor people. You saw his speech at the International Monetary Fund, where he said it's great to have regressive taxes because you can push poor people around and tell them to stop using salt or drink soda, all the things that he likes. He's smarter and better than the average person. And the establishment left loves to have nanny uh, state taxes. I oppose those. The big fight we're having across the country is tax. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. I just Health asked you why important. you want to cut taxes yeah. on billionaires to, and, and then and, and then I'm cut people you, off Social Security. And you're telling me that that you don't want there to be taxes on things like big big gulps and tobacco they and think? alcohol to discourage yeah, people from using those things because you don't like social engineering. That was not my question. Yeah. Well, I know, but I'm not interested in your fantasy about what I do for a living. I'm here fighting against vaping taxes every day, and you have me doing something else. Vaping okay? taxes? You can argue with somebody else if you want. Are you, are you said you're, you're fighting against vaping taxes? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? It's a big move to try and tax vaping so people won't quit smoking cigarettes. Cities and towns and the federal government make a lot of money off of tobacco. They don't tax vaping at present, although they'd like to. And every time millions of people have shifted over, we've got 14 million people who vape and either have quit smoking completely or largely. Teen smoking is at historic lows because the people and who... teen vaping uh, is at historic highs. 98% of the people who vape, teenagers who vape, have uh, started with cigarettes and not the other. Only 2% didn't start with cigarettes. So that's the fantasy that the, that the tobacco people have put out and that the advocates of higher taxes oh, have put out. We're actually, we have very low uh, cigarette smoking among teenagers, and one of the reasons is vaping. It's the reason if you, why. If you keep cutting taxes on wealthy people in the United States and big corporations, I mean, you've got. On everybody. Yeah. Okay, you keep cutting those taxes. Taxes are too high on everybody. How, how do you propose? We had a, we had a guy uh, from Chicago who called in in the last hour. He said, I'm blind. And Trump is talking about cuts to Social Security disability insurance. What am I supposed to do? What's he supposed to do, Grover? Well, what, that's why the important thing is to reform some of these uh, entitlements that we have. If you had taken your Social Security payments, spike of taxes, and put them in the stock market uh, over the history of, of uh, the last 70 years, you'd be much better off. The reason why a lot of lower-income people don't have wealth is that what they should be saving uh, is taken so in other words, somebody who's born taxes. blind should be putting their money in the stock market throughout their lifetime. Okay, do, well, am I really hearing that? I'm trying to. What we're trying to do is, is make the situation better for all people. Not everybody in the country is blind. Well, we have 401ks. You can put your money in your stock in the stock market if you want. You get a tax yeah, break for doing it. The government takes 15 percent of your income. Uh, it, uh, for Social Security and gives it to somebody else next week. It's not saved for you. The reason why lower income people don't have wealth is the government has Social Security, which isn't a wealth 
life savings uh, accumulation. They'll give you income if you live to 65. After Social does. Security started in the 30s, we saw an actual decline in deaths from older people, from diseases of poverty, malnutrition, and even freezing to death in the winter. And, and how much better would we, have, would, be, would we have been able to help people if you'd let them save and invest that money? You would both Nobody's save preventing people assets. from saving money. The government takes your if you're low income and the government takes 15 percent of your income uh, for Social Security taxes, that's money that you're not saving. No, but here's the thing you're missing, Grover. If if this is the same thing with taxes, the labor market out there is an after tax market. People people, you know, apply for jobs, work for jobs, employers base pay on what people take home, not on what their gross pay is. So if you've got 15 percent of your of your income and it's really you know, what, six, six, six or seven, six and change a percent oh, of your income and, that. and that's matched by your employer. But let's say yeah. well, we'll use your number. Fifteen percent. Happy giving it to you. Yeah. Let's let's say that all of a you sudden pay that tax, the average working person is no longer paying social security taxes and they all and everybody gets a 15% increase in their in their take home pay. What's mm-hmm. the average employer going to do when they know well, since, that those employees will work for 15% less? What are they going to do? Well, you've got it backwards. No, what, you, what they're going to do is they're going to start cutting wages. This is why every time there's a tax cut on the middle class, over time, over the next three years, wages go down. Every time there's a tax increase on the middle class, over time, wages go up. It's why McDonald's workers at minimum wage in Denmark are making $18.75 an hour because they're paying 35% taxes. Their take-home pay is the same as it is. Oh, it's actually a little higher than it is here. And the the prices are higher in Europe as well, which takes away from some of the benefits. My point, but the standard of living is better. Because you're working to steal religious numbers, okay? Grover, I'm, I'm very sorry. We, we, it doesn't the, matter the, how much they tax you. Yeah, okay. okay. I didn't hit that break. It, it automatically hits at 18 minutes after. I can't push it any farther than that. Good talking with you. Grover Norquist, ATR.org good is the luck. website. Thanks a lot, Grover. Have a good day. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 